This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Power Talk, the leadership dialogue. Let's talk about uh, a name I think we are all familiar with, uh, whether we uh, are in the sphere of business um, or whether we're in the sphere of reality TV. By now, we all know Uncle Viv, uh, Vivian Vatasalam Reddy, a self-made businessman um, who started a business in the power and energy sector and then built a conglomerate in hotels, casinos, real estate to become one of the leading figures in the doyens of business, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal, but in the country as a whole. He is our conversationist this morning in the Leadership Dialogue. And thank you very much for your time, Vivian Reddy. No, thank you very much. It's great to be on uh, Power FM, Lerato, and uh, uh, talking to you from a beautiful, sunny day in Devon. Oh, we and in, in Devon, we are very positive. So even <laughs> if it's a cool day, we still call it a warm day. Oh, do you still uh, have the cool chill? Of mind. <laughs> do you have the cool chill through the, you know, do you still have a little bit of the winter remnants coming through? Oh, yes, we still. We still, but it's coming together. We're looking forward to <laughs> a great season ahead. There's lots of things happening in Devon, and uh, it's actually exciting times. Oh, when fantastic. people talk about Devon, they talk about the sewer spills and the beaches. That's all yeah. done now. Our beaches are open. The beaches are full of people. Okay. It's like all problems are temporary. You know, yeah. you have it, it goes away. And um, no, Devon is tops. Uh, we had some big announcements this week. That Club Med is going to be opening. There's a whole lot of big other projects. Uh, it's right. actually going to be boom time in Devon. I mean, okay. there's new projects of about six billion rands of stuff, of which we are investing two billion into the wow. city. We're going to be creating something like about two thousand six hundred new jobs. Uh, it's just exciting times. And actually, for once, we in Devon are going to be setting the trend. We are going to be in, uh, <laughs> setting the construction trend. Yeah. But the construction area is the biggest employment factor you know you yeah. even order or put a window into a building and it creates about 20 jobs down the line oh, but you've got those and terrible really, mafias though uncle viv uh in no, in, 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 in in the I'm construction sector let me tell you what has happened initially when we started the oceans development they stopped it and um, i decided to meet them face i went i met them uh, we had a meeting i heard the problems we then uh, arranged to set up a, um, uh, you know, offices for them, and I taught them how to do business, and they're very grateful. But what is happening now? There's a lot of subsidies. There's a lot of other people running around, and um, and I think sometimes in life you need to sit down with people, like every issue. If you ignore them, the problem is not going to go away. Mm. And uh, the government they should take more decisive action. They should, uh, you know, pay more serious attention to it because I know. It is causing, but sometimes perception looms larger than reality. Mm. We There is a big perception, you know, about them. And I just think if you bring them around the table, it can make a big difference. I mean, but that's we were, just like extortion. Uh, why, why would somebody put a gun to your head, excuse the, the, the metaphor, and force you to do business with them? And then you are compelled to sit down at the table and do business with them, whereas before you wouldn't have had to do that. Why should business have to run like that? Uh, it is a yeah, but I think it's, it's not that all of them uh, run around with, with guns and uh, uh, pointing guns at people. They, they, you know, they, they would come home. I mean, when they came to the ocean site initially, they did come home. 
But, uh, you know, you need to sit, and I think the Minister of Public Works, uh, Cecil Ligzigalala, is playing a great role uh, in that aspect. It is a real threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but it must be dealt with uh, with the government. But property developers mm-hmm. also have got to come to the market because mm-hmm. one of the problems is property market. It's so untransformed. Yeah. Uh, when you go to shopping malls, when you go, I mean, if you look at the Oceans Mall, we've got sixty percent black tenants. During construction, we achieved seventy five percent B participation. You look at the professionals employed mm-hmm. at any one of our projects, you'll find all of them is eighty percent black involvement. Go back, go and look at the Santons, go and look at the big boards out mm-hmm. there and see how many people blacks are actually being marginalized in this construction mm. industry, the professionals. And, okay. uh, you know, I'm glad I'm a member of Black Business Council and we talk about these issues. And unfortunately, after all these years, the property industry is one of the least transformed in okay. this country. But we want to make a difference. Okay. Okay. You're raising many, many issues and you kind of got in there at the very, very beginning because I was going to start you soft, uh, Uncle Viv. So I wanted to know, you know, I've always thought your name is Vivian Reddy. And then I realized it's not. It's uh, Vatha Salam uh, Reddy. Yeah, yeah. But you're called <laughs> Vivian. So how do we get from Vatha Salam to Vivian? What happens in 1860 when the first Indians came to South Africa? Um, and I think, uh, you know, when our great-grandparents, they started registering, the difficult names were too difficult to pronounce. Now, Fatasalam is my Sanskrit name. It means serenity and peace. Every Indian has a Sanskrit name. And uh, we always got a Christian name also, uh, like Vivian was a, a name. So it was easier to run around people talking for Tassalam. It's a bit difficult. In India, they still do that, but not in South Africa. Yeah. And that is how I gave it. It's my late brother that gave me the name Vivian. And uh, it's something that sticks. And you'll find that 90% of the Indians you talk to, they would have a, a, a different Sanskrit name. Okay. And uh, uh, it was a transformation. And, um, <laughs> you know, the... I always tell the humorous joke about the Indians uh, that came to South Africa in 1860. Yeah. They came to cut the sugarcane and grow the grass, and now they are so innovative, they drink the cane and smoke the grass. You know, <laughs> that's the indignity of the community. <laughs> and, uh, or the naughtiness as well but this is what I want to know Vivian is such an elegant woman's name like I'm thinking old Hollywood Vivian you know and and designers Vivian Westwood those kinds of things so of all the names that your brother could give you what prompted him to go for Vivian I know it it's a derivation of your of your Sanskrit name you are totally right I'm going to give it is, you know, I was the first businessman to go into uh, Nigeria when President Obasanjo was president. President Abu Mbeki asked me to take a business delegation, a few of us. We, when we, I went to the airport and the presidential, we supposed to be met by the presidential unit to escort us yeah. through. And we stood there and waited. And yet we saw a group of people with military software. There were a few ladies there looking around. And I decided that, you know, it's now gone half an hour and no one's yet. And I went to talk to them and said, who are, you know, and I went there and I said, we're from South Africa and my name is Vivian Reddy. And this lady said, no, 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 no. We are looking for a lady. Vivian is a woman's <laughs> name. And, and and quite often I get this, but now my name is spelled with a V-I-V-I-A-N. And the lady, the female it's, version is I-E-N-I-E-N-E. So, but, uh, you know, it's a name that has stuck <laughs> over the years. But uh, 
sometimes uh, I said me that I can masquerade as a woman at times. <laughs> we'll explore that in a moment. It's 10.23. We're in conversation with Vivian Vivredi. Power Talk, the Leadership Dialogue. Yes, it is a leadership dialogue with a man who is a gutsy entrepreneur and his is a rags to riches story. And as I said earlier on, it's often told as a kind of an urban legend in KwaZulu-Natal. Do you know how Vivian really made it? Do you know how Vivian made, really made it? Well, he's here to speak in his own voice. We do know that it is in his early years. He had a, a eureka moment and started the Edson Group. And I, you know, had a pun and I said, it's like Thomas Edson himself discovering the light bulb. So did uh, Vivian ready uh you know, discover his big break um, in this energy and electricity sector. But then he diversified, moved into commercial real estate, hotels, casinos, and his latest newest project is now the popular new offering in Umhlanga Ridge, known as the Oceans Mall with the Radisson Hotel. He is our leadership dialogue today. And as I'm saying, uh, Vivian Reddy, you have rods in many, many fires, uh, malls and retail, hotels and hospitality, energy and real estate, a very diverse portfolio. And I've wondered, was that a hedging strategy? Uh, and don't you ever worry about being uh, exposed to too many asset bubbles and risks? Because all these sectors have complexity. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we we involved in uh, different businesses. Uh, you talk about And what happens in business world You've got to look at it. You know, it's a question of risk and rewards. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go back and look at the time I started the electrical business and you raised the issue about uh, the, the Edison Power, and I created that name because when I started business as Reddy's Electrical, we were not getting any work. And I then uh, realized what was happening, and I changed the name after Thomas Edison to call it Edison Power. And then we were getting calls from big customers asking to speak to Mr. Edison. And I used to say, Mr. Edison is not in. Can I help you? In fact, in the apartheid days, I, people thought it was a white-owned business. And that's what business is all about. You've got to be innovative, innovative and creative. Now, our business is quite diversified. But the businesses we get into, um, I mean, we've got in and out of businesses. Uh, the whole idea is about timing. Uh, if you look at the... Um, casino business and at one time I was involved in six different casinos uh-huh. and uh, you know uh, now we just uh, involved here yeah, at Sabaya Casino and um, on the property side uh, it's something that I haven't been involved for too long which started about 10 years 12 years ago and um, you know and I've realized it's one of the best industries to make money you know you build a shopping mall uh, you get the zoning rights, your property increases immediately. Um, you go in and get all the um, uh, tenants lined up. It's easy to get funding by then. You've got a fully net mall. And uh, what is so good that there's an escalation clause in all our rentals. Mm. It's up to about 8 to 10%. And um, then you are guaranteed of an increased rental, whereas right. your interest rates uh uh, don't rise up so much. And then every year you've got a capital appreciation mm-hmm. of business. It improves your balance sheet. And, and the property business is actually one of the best business. And why we also got into residential in a big way yeah. is that every the dream of every working class person is to own a house. Mm-hmm. A home is something that people want to own. 
they want to leave it behind. They want to leave it as a legacy to the families. And that's why very rarely people default on their home loans. And that's where we are in a space. We're just building uh, 525 apartments here in Slanga Rocks. And uh, the take-up has been absolutely ocean right. apartments. I mean, the take-up, we're already about 70% sold. Right. And there is an amazing, people want the security of a home and banks finance it because it's a yeah. great asset and it's secured. And if something right. goes wrong, they can always sell it. And then it's the property business. Yeah. And, um, you know, the power business, the energy we know in South Africa is good to be in the renewable space, especially it's a whole big opportunities have evolved. Right. And, Coming back to the risk, we look at businesses and we fortunately, along the line, we did uh, burn our fingers in some of the businesses that have been all plain sailing. But by large, uh, most of our businesses are are highly successful. You know, as business you, is only as successful as the effort you put into your business. Yeah, but as you're talking like this, I'm thinking when I look at the REITs um, market overviews or we look at what other big property companies are talking about, it's a difficult time because with the economy that's been very, very challenging, uh, people have either not been able to keep up with their rentals, work from home after COVID, companies can't bring staff back to the office so they are no longer servicing those big rentals in office blocks, etc. And so, and the debts are very, very high. And so, it's been a very difficult uh, period for others in commercial real estate. What makes it different for you? Is it the Durban factor? No, I tell you, it is. There is a reality, uh, especially with the big property uh, rates. You know, the office market with an absolute bloodbath with COVID, but people are coming back. If you look at mm. uh, occupancies here in Slanga Rocks are absolutely great. I know it's in Santon. Uh, you know, the people are getting back into their offices. Let's talk about the malls. And one of the things we've always built, done, and we built several malls, one of the things we've done is to ensure that our malls have at least about 80 to 85 national tenants. Ah. In that way, even the worst case scenario, as you know, the national tenants pay the rental. Yeah. So you're not in, uh, totally reliant on smaller tenants. And, um, you know, right. that is something that helps uh, in a, in, in a mm. big way to make sure that your rentals are, are collected. Okay. And that's a model we've been setting. And also, we've just said to also ensure that we provide the quality of service to our tenants in terms of your marketing the quality of the mall, uh, you know, you've got yeah. to make sure the location is great. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, uh, some of, uh, if you look at some of the big collapses in property and you look at where the mistakes were made, yeah. like in, and, uh, investing in places like Europe, yeah. and then there you had Brexit came in yeah. and had a big impact on those portfolios. Yeah. Uh, look, we are fortunate, if you look at our old mall, people thought, we're absolutely crazy to build a mall. It is about 140,000 yeah. square meters. We built a 40,000 square yeah. meters. And what I decided to do is, you've got to be unique offering. I, I, I managed to bring all the high-end brands, Burberry, Dolce Cabana, uh, Gucci, okay. you know, Roberto Cavalli, and Versace, a whole host of luxury brands. We created our own plat, own For diamond wall. So, so Uncle Viv, I'm going to have to interject. So, so I'm going to have to interject because we've got to take the headlines. But obviously, Ocean's Mall's got high-end brands. It's brand new. It's literally 400 meters away from the ocean. It's just a beautiful value proposition. You'll tell us more about it in a moment.
All right, so the time is 10.35. Thank you very much to the news teams. We're in a leadership dialogue with a leading South African entrepreneur. I don't even think entrepreneur is really the right word. Yes, a self-made businessman, but uh, a self-made South African billionaire uh, who has had um, uh Business investments, let me say that, in real estate, retail, hotels, hospitality, energy, and a portfolio that's very, very diverse. It's Vivian Reddy. Vatasolom Reddy is what I discovered is his name today, his Sanskrit name as well. (laughs) And Vivian is the name his brother gave him. Uh, I do love the story. I do love the story. Uncle Viv, because everybody calls you Uncle Viv, you were telling us about the new Oceans Mall that you've built just about 300 meters away from um, the the, the promenade at Umklanga Rocks. Very, very pretty. It's got a few other hotels around. It has, as an anchor, the Radisson Hotel in it. So it's the newest offering uh, just off the ridge. And you were saying that you you thought of doing quite a few things, and one of them was to bring a kind of a diamond walk elite shopping experience and i found that quite surprising that durban never had one and durban is known as the city of swankers it's the city where everybody loves to dress up in fact a lot of big designers um come from durban and how can durban not have a diamond walk until now well you know this is why it took me to do that it wasn't easy Devon was also always considered the offense of fashion because what we were doing, we didn't have international brands. We had to travel to Johannesburg, Cape Town, or mm. when the people traveled to get these brands. And I myself, we, you know, we used to travel around and buying these brands. And I know the market. I'm in the casino business here. Yeah, I know the spend of the Devon community. I know the disposable income. And it wasn't easy, you know, flying around the world talking to the international brands, trying to get them in. And one of the things, well, the mall was involved and we had one of the top international brands who was an anchor tenant in our platinum walk. The CEO flew down and it was one week after our July uprising. Uh, wow. it, and I was so worried. You know, we, we showcased uh, um, Slanger Rocks. We, we put them in top hotels. And one of the things I did, I was, there's a lovely place in Durban, it's called the Pencil Club, it's a private club yeah. that I'm a member of. And I took them up there and you could see this beautiful Durban and I raised this issue. And I said, you know, you were, they were fully aware of it. And it was quite interesting, they talked about the fact in the first world countries like the USA, you know, mm. LA had its uprising, France had many mm. uh, looting mm. of stores, London had the uprising, mm. and he actually Pass it off saying, you're a third world country, we understand, we've experienced that, you know, and he asked about them. Slung rocks the area, I told him how great the area was, but they came in. I mean, all these international brands, mm. I mean, Burberry is opening uh, this Friday, I mean, it's mm. an exciting shop. They spent something like 400 million rands they invested in their brands, in their interiors. Right. This mall is absolutely world-class. Yeah. It's better than any other mall in Africa <laughs> in terms of the luxury option. Yeah. I also decided, you see, when you build this mall, you've got to do something special. Yet again, you're competing. We created the Piazza with supercars. Oh. Every weekend, you've got lots of supercars there. People love it. There was yeah. even a supercar accident on the road that had about 4.5 million views on YouTube. Uh, you know, it's linked to the hotel. <laughs> In the notoriety. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and we got a signature restaurant. I mean, everyone in Johannesburg yes. knows Desmond Mabusa. We signature do. Restaurant. Great. Uh, okay. Doing, 
Yeah. I haven't been to the Oceans Mall. I'm going to have to come. You, you won't believe it. My mother, she's been there, but I haven't been there. So I'm going to have to visit soon when I, when I, when I come down. But, um, but I love the point you're making is that in Los Angeles, there've been the LA riots, for example, uh, but that hasn't put people away from Rodeo Drive. So why do we associate uh, political upheaval? upheaval with the general uh, ability of a city or a country to be able to trade is what you're saying absolutely okay. it, it's just the this is what happens the western world portrays africa and especially south africa in a very different light when mm. the france when paris was burning yeah. i mean just imagine that paris had all this writing the mm. burning and uh no one criticized no. and uh, yeah. commented the way they condemned they our violence and looting yeah. in uh, July. It was always, whenever something happens in Africa, it's worse. It's it's a similar thing happens okay. elsewhere in Europe. It's different, and that's the bias people have towards Africa and, okay. you know, and to South Africa in general, because okay. we're a country that's growing. We're trying to be a first world country. Mm. We're far from it. Mm. But uh, people are envious. <laughs> about what happens in Africa. Oh. Our success stories are not told, but the minute something negatively happens, it's Everyone's all over. Told. Okay, fair, fair play. I think, I think many people will, 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 will concur with that view. I think it's got a name, which is an Afro... Uh, an Afro-pessimism is what it's called um, internationally. Okay, so there's a few questions I, I've got for you, Uncle Viv, so we've got quite a bit to get through. Many people oh. say the success of Vivian Reddy is due to currying political favor and patronage. Um, and there's a sense that you're a very good friend, a bosom buddy is how it's portrayed with President Jacob Zuma. There's nothing wrong with that in itself, but there is a sense that um, there are a few questionable relationships that you have. How do you respond to people who talk like that? Uh, let, me, let me take them back in history. In the early 1990s, when ANC was unbanned, I was the first businessman in Kaiseran that took great care. I gave President Mandela the first million donation to the ANC from Kaiseran. I was close friends with Mandela, very close friends with Thabo Mbeki, close friends with Cyril Ramaphosa, our current president. I used to pick him up from the airport in my car. We were very close friends, and Zuma also. So I don't know why this thing about being friends with Zuma. I've known, in fact, every member of the cabinet, the previous, and I've, I've known them since for the last uh, 35 years. So they're my friends. It's got nothing to do. My okay. business, how do you uh, uh, link these businesses with cutting favors? I mean, we, we build shopping centers, we build properties, we own casinos. Uh, you know, we've got power businesses that where 90% of our power business comes from the private sector. So it's something that doesn't bother well, me. Well, let, let me put it's it into context. Okay, perception. Let me put the currying favor into context. So, fun. You've known every ANC leader and having been involved in, in, in aspects of the struggle, you would know them. But there's a sense that in the same way in which American uh, lobbyists lobby administrations, uh, like you say, uh, you know, raising money, fundraising for parties and then ultimately if that party wins an election they push through either reforms of the sector in which you're in or they issue permits or they remove red tape in that area all of that is tantamount to patronage even if there was no check that was signed in, in fact it's a standing joke without the, within the ANC leadership that I'm being one of the biggest donors 
since the ANC came in. Mm. I've never asked them for a single favor. I've never walked in literally. I don't know when last I was there. It must have been three times in my life. When Zuma, when Tabo Mbeki were president, I, I've never been to Union Building. Not once. The only time I went there was for the inauguration. I, I, don't, I don't need politicians in my business. I get on with my business life. Uh, there's no, you know, there's no need. And I was continuing supporting the ANC. Uh, it's an organization that gave us freedom in this country. It's an organization that opened up opportunities. And, and you know, today, if you are good, we are the best electrical company in this country. Mm. We don't need anyone uh, to talk for us, our record, our name. We are great at building malls and things. So we don't need to carry favors. I think there's just, this, as I said, there is a perception that everyone, and what is also interesting in South Africa, it seems the whole issue of polit- uh, of uh, what they call this uh, uh, politically exposed PEP mm. and all these things largely seem to apply only to black South Africans. Mm. And yet there are white South Africans, the funded mm. political parties that have been mm. getting so many contracts mm. from the government. Mm. I mean, look at the monopolies mm. around South Africa. Mm. Where they've got, look at the airports. Who are the people that are running yeah. all these, uh, uh, the kiosks, the right. apron services? You, you look all over the, uh, the, the country. And, and this is the unfortunate thing with South Africa. This whole issue of politically exposed person, the issue of, uh, you know, mm. being close. And mm. what people must realize, we've come up from an apartheid state, an apartheid thing where we grew up with these people. The apartheid put us all together. Yeah. I mean, if you uh, look at it in Devon, people like Jeff are there. They grew up. Yeah. Jane and I, they lived in the same street in Greenwood Park with us. So you can't suddenly, when they become politicians, mm. uh, you dismiss them. Yeah. Uh, it's friendship is important, but I think it's a big misnomer yeah. uh, about carrying favors and things. There's no need to do it. Yeah. But unfortunately, in some cases, it's done. I, I, but in my case, absolutely no single president, politician, director, yeah. general, member of parliament, minister, anyone in South Africa could ever put their hands up and say yeah. they did me a favor. And, n- and none day. of it ever no sticks. And, nev- and none of it has ever stuck. To be fair to you, none of whatever has been said about you has ever stuck legally. You, you, you raise an interesting thing here. Uh, because when we started the conversation, you said, look at my tenants, 10% black in this new mall. Um, and yet you look at the investment, and, yeah. and yet you look at the investments that built the mall, 75% uh, BE part participation along the value chain. And then you raise this issue of politically exposed people. Um, and my understanding of what PEP means is when banks and other institutions measure risk, they say, oh, would this person create a reputational problem for us? And maybe we shouldn't bank them. Maybe we shouldn't give them money. Maybe so. And then you say all of this applies to black people. So in many different facets, you are raising a kind of a prejudice that prevails against black business leaders. Why do you think it is? Well, it is proof of it. Why is Steinhoff still banked? Why is Tonga Tillich still banked with all the corruption? EOH, I mean, you go the history uh, of this and you find that there's massive corruption. And, and, and yet, I've, I mean, you look at a person, I mean, a person like Julius Malama says that they don't even open bank accounts for his children. Mm-hmm. For I mean, why is it? I believe that the whole issue is being abused by organizations. I, I know how I myself have to fill in so many forms about being politically exposed. I mean, people, I think sometimes these bankers get embarrassed at a lower level that they have to ask these questions. The reality in South Africa, what it should be, is that if you are 
charged for something and uh, you've got serious charges against you, then it's a different situation. But not because you knew Jacob Zuma oh, or you knew this politician yeah. or something the newspaper might have uh, written about with the allegations uh, and you suddenly become a yeah. reputational risk. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. Okay. You know, it just doesn't work like that. Okay. So it's very, very important. The hypocrisy in this country is absolutely uh, painful mm. in terms of how there's double standard when it comes to white business and handling of black businesses. Mm. And, and you see it all over the place. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of you look at the South Africa, I mean, financial institutions have been accused of a whole host of things. Mm. Not all of them, you know, some of them are colluding, um, involved in all kinds of aspects, overcharging of projects and uh, and yet, you get. Uh, I've mm. seen people. I mean, people okay. come to me. So selective but, justice, selective justice, and all of it always has a shading of color in it. Uh, I think you've raised some really pertinent issues. I'm not going to. I think you've expressed yourself eloquently. I'm not going to probe further. I want to move on. And now, you know, you say where you grew up. Um, Jeff Khadebe lived across the hill. Uh, you know, uh, Jay and I do lived on the same street. That sort of thing. I want to know what it's like with that kind of history. Durban, a city of diversity, racial and cultural diversity, the third largest city in the country. Um, It's contributed so much culturally to the country, and yet you still see dissonance. Just when there was the unrest of 2021, instead of focusing on why there was unrest, eventually it became a battle between the residents of Phoenix versus the residents of Umlazi, black versus Indian. And I thought to myself, that was so... Unfortunate, and why have things taken that turn? And what is it about Durban in 2023 where a lot of these social cohesion issues haven't been ironed out, or is the media exaggerating it? You know, I don't think uh, there's an exaggeration. The uprising has been a, a reality, um, which well-known fact in South Africa why it started and how it started. The government has admitted its failure in, uh, in curtailing it uh, earlier. And, um, and I think it's been a big lesson learned. And also what happened in this entire thing, I mean, it's most unfortunate 300 lives were, were lost. Mm. And it's largely because the security forces, the soldiers, they, they all uh, didn't react uh, quick enough. And what I could tell you, I come from this town, there's been a lot of initiatives a business by community leaders in bringing the people together, mm. bringing people together. And, uh, you know, one of the most saddest things in South Africa history, but especially in KZN, for us to have lost is the Majesty King Gudul mm. and now Prince Butelezi. They, they played a great role in social cohesion in this province. And, and uh, they've left a big void. And that is why we as business we actually go out there and, and get involved in projects, social cohesion projects, and various others trying to bring the community together. That violence and the unrest has divided Kazan and seriously, but we can see people coming together. We can see people, uh, you know, starting to heal from what has happened, mm. but it should never happen, and we pray and hope that it never happens again. It was something we never dreamed. I, for one, never dreamed in my lifetime I would see something like that. I mean, we went to the worst time in the 1990s, the 94. Mm. I, we thought there would be something like that. It didn't happen. 
Uh, and it's happened now. But the reality is, how do we get up? How do we move forward? Well, and I think largely in KZN, we are actually moving right. forward from that. I think my question is really, what is this issue between black people and Indian people. I've never understood it. I've always thought it's a fallacy, but it takes flare-ups for you to be reminded, no, it's not imagined. Well, man, I, I tell you, I, I'm very, <laughs> I can discuss it openly. Uh, there were lots of instances of tensions uh, between the uh, the local African and Indian community. You first had the 1949 riots. Then you had the Inanda uprising where Indian homes were occupied. Then you had my dear friend uh, Ngema with his song Hama India. Then you had the Masibuya Forum that talked about the 49 uh, riots and mm. called for another uprising. Then there were calls for Indians to go back. And I, I've been in the heart of all these things. I've been in the heart of bringing people together, even mm. at one stage, initially bringing President Mandela uh, into the building, even bringing President Zuma when he was deputy president, uh, and the chief Butlesi and the king and Bishop mm. Shembe and a whole host of people to bring people together. It's a reality in our society, and this is what apartheid has done. Mm. One of the worst aspects of apartheid, the evils of apartheid, when you separate at one time, Indians and Africans lived next to each other. Mm. They were neighbors, they were friends. Mm. They were all uprooted, they were separated. They were put into different camps. And, uh, you know, when I see it, I, I, I support a big program yes. called We Are One. Uh, it's run by the center. Uh, and, um, you know, we have a, a function uh, every year that's based from Kwamashu on the grounds and people. Right. We have fund rallies between Phoenix and neighboring state. I mean, you've got two places where the commonality is poverty, mm. a road separates mm. them, and one is largely Indian, one largely African. And uh, it's communities that don't know each other. Mm. They don't even uh, talk to each mm. other. And, and we have these functions. And a lot of people do initiatives of bringing. And that's what we've right. got to look at, how we bring people together. Yeah. There is tension. If you want to say, is it still there? It is still there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there are various reasons for it. And, yeah. um, you know, when you have people, uh, especially at a working class, some of the poorer people competing Mm. For the same thing, when you look at the mm. issue of, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, the problem we had in KZN where our local communities turned against foreigners, mm. uh, it's a reality. It started here in KZN, unfortunately, with a misrepresentation of what His Majesty, late His Majesty King mm. Goodwill said. Uh, but then again, we as a community got together. We brought people right. uh, to, together. Okay. So, but it's a reality. Yeah. It's a reality it's an unfortunate our, one. Not only in South Africa, it's in Africa mm. also. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Okay. So when I started, um, Uncle Viv, I said yours is a rags to riches story because that's what I've been made to understand is that you are this incredible doyen and businesses billionaire, but it wasn't always like that and that you grew up you quite poor from humble beginnings is, is what I've read. So just share with us what that past fueled in you um, to enter commerce and to try to make a success of your life and what you've learned about those two different worlds or two different eras in your life? Well, if I look at it now, I started business with a bucky and 500 rands and worked very hard, went through all kinds of discrimination, went through how to succeed. And uh, when, you know, one of the stories that I always talk about that one of the changing points in my life is when 
1971. Mm. I was to represent South Africa and the Boy Scouts World Jamboree. And I went out there and spoke out against the racism in our country and the Boy Scouts code, it says, all is equal before God. Mm. And yet we segregated. And that obviously didn't endear me to South Africans, but it endeared me to the English-speaking Africans and the Europeans. And I got elected to the youth forum that was created. And the guest of honor at that forum was astronaut Neil Armstrong. And I became, I think, amongst the first mm. in Africa to ever meet uh, the astronaut Neil Armstrong. Mm. And when my, he went to the moon on 71, and when my turn came to greet him, I didn't know what to say. But yeah. he told me about his upbringing. But he left me with these words that helped me to inspire, that helped to inspire me up to today. He said, young man, if you can dream it, you can achieve it. Mm. Perseverance prevails when all else fails mm. and never, ever give up. Yeah. And those were such prophetic words. They helped me so many times in life when there were tough times. And we all got to have this dream, the vision. And mm. I've got a philosophy in life which is called Can I? C-A-N-E-I. It means constant and never-ending improvement. If we can make every day a better day in our lives, it will just feel so good. You mm. will improve bit by bit. It's like going to the gym every day. You suddenly mm. come up at five, three, a couple of years later, you're like, oh, you've got big muscles. But most <laughs> importantly in life, and a lot of people must remember, that no matter how wealthy and successful you are, yeah. in fact, a rich man is very poor if you do not share your profits and wealth with the less fortunate. And that is what we need. We talked about cohesion. We talk yeah. about poverty and perceptions. If, more, if businesses went out and reached out to the neighboring communities, it will help a great deal. Right. And I want to round up with that aspect of it. When there was about uh, 14 schools with zero pass rates in the greater Lembe area, mm. everyone was condemning the MEC for education, but what I did, I went out there, we adopted a school, we upgraded the classroom, we hired teachers, mm. weekend uh, uh, studies, we brought in experts, and we even handed over calculation before the exam. But within two and a half years, from mm. zero pass rate, the schools had 85% pass rate. Yeah. But my message is out there. Go out there, work with the communities, go and adopt schools. We can criticize government. There's lots of things wrong with the government. It's absolutely pathetic, some of the things that's happening in this country. But the reality, we as business persons, community leaders, and even yeah. anyone, We've got to roll up our sleeves and say, what can we do to help to make this solution. country better? Don't right. lie to the government. They're not going to do it for you. Okay. You've so, got to rise up and you've got to stand for yourself. Right. Okay, so, and, and that's what's going to help. Okay, so some kind of philanthropy is important from, from the wealthier South Africans uh, and some kind of corporate citizenship from business. As we round off the question, I would be remiss to have this conversation with you. And on behalf of all the young women who love Housewives of Durban, if I didn't ask you about your cameo roles on the show, because <laughs> your wife is one of the housewives. She's one of the prominent housewives. And you are one of the husbands who often makes an appearance here or there, uh, either walking the dogs or taking your wife out to dinner. And what it's demonstrated is just how much of a doting dad you are. 
but also how much of a kind of a romantic husband you are. You're the one who put her on a on a private plane with her friends and the others were so jealous about it. So, <laughs> you know, so that she didn't have to drive all the way to the Drakensberg. And so that's how we've also come to know you as Uncle Viv. Just tell us about not so much the reality show where you've only made an appearance maybe three times, but um, how you see yourself outside of business. And let me tell you, it's very important. In fact, uh, in a solution, my wife is absolutely a great human being. You know, she's a wonderful mother that gets up at 4.30. And why I get involved is to support. It's very important in life we support our wives. Uh, you know, and uh, that's why I get involved now and again, uh, just to show people out there. And I think it's important for the viewership to listen. We are not ordinary family. We, we are just like any other family. Wout should never set us apart. We live normal lives, and that's what we see. And I think it's uh, what is good about the Real Housewives show, and I think it helps to show the reality of how people uh, can communicate. And I'm hoping that my little cameo roles there just helps uh, other wives to say, hey, if Vivian Reddy can do this, why can you not do that? A lot of my friends tell me that I put them in no, if Vivian Reddy can put his wife on a private jet, you better put me on a private jet. That's all that's no, happened there. That. I'm talking about the dog, walking the dog, getting the kids education. Uh, you know, uh, what is important is little acts of love every day. I mean, like, yeah. for instance, I'll tell you a secret that a lot of people don't know. That every day of our lives, every minute, when we send a WhatsApp message to each other, we finish it with 143, and 143 means I love you. We send 100 messages a day, we'll finish And we're doing it since the day we first we did for the last 20 years. And it's little things like that that helps to bond the marriage, helps the marriage to keep together. Because it's not easy being married. You've got to work at things. You've got to do little yeah. acts because, you know, it's not about wealth. It doesn't take money to show love. It doesn't take money to be romantic. Oh. It doesn't mean that. It just needs pure love and care. If we care about our spouses and we love them, yeah. we'll send them little messages. Okay, Uncle Viv, from all of us here who've been listening to you t- this morning, just your philosophy on business, the hard works, um, your philosophy on philanthropy, to whom much is given, much is expected, go out there and see if you can be part of the solution to some of the problems in the country, to your candor about consistent uh, difficulties in building solid communities in KwaZulu-Natal because the race relations are so fraught and tense, and also to you calling out hypocrisy um, in corporate South Africa and how risk is perceived when it applies to black businessmen versus white businessmen. It's been a full conversation and it hasn't felt heavy at all. So from all of us, Uncle Viv Reddy, we thank you for your time and 143. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.